Thank you, Gareth. And uh, good morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. It's great to see you all here this morning. And uh, thanks to Gary and the guys for leading us in worship and God's presence as we come before him this morning. And we're, we're continuing on today in our 100 Days of Prayer. Uh, we're in our series on Awakening. Uh, and we're going to continue on in that series this morning. And this morning we're turning to the book of Jonah. Uh, and it's on page 928 of your church Bible, if you want to have a look there. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, we're reading all of Jonah chapter 1. Uh, and on page 928 of the church Bible. And uh, as, we come, as we come to read uh, God's Word, uh, I want to just use the prayer that's in uh, our 100 Days of Prayer booklet for this weekend. So as we come to God's Word, let us unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, we would pray for a great awakening in our souls, <clears throat> in our city, and in our land. May your people be awakened in prayer for the sake of our nation. We ask you to awaken our souls in confession of sin and repentance by your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So God's spirit and his word is amongst us and meeting with us and working in our hearts and minds. Let's be open to what he would say to us and do in our lives today. So I want to read from Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. <clears throat> and the little passage is, uh, is entitled there at the top of it, Jonah flees from the Lord. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. <clears throat> then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? Who are your people? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do? What should we do to you to make, to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, but the men did not want, did not, did their best to row back the land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, 
Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we finish our reading there. Amen. Well, the book of Jonah, it's an interesting one. It's only four chapters long, but it's dynamite. It's dynamite. But you know, sometimes I think as we, as we come to the book of Jonah, there's a couple of problems for us really as we come to study Jonah. And sometimes we kind of think that Jonah, well, the book of Jonah is really actually just a bit of a fairy story. It's not really true. The story is told of, of a young Christian boy, let's call him Johnny, uh, and, and his atheist school teacher who will remain nameless. But they were having, Johnny and his school teacher, the atheist teacher, were having a bit of discussion about the book of Jonah. And the school teacher said, Johnny, you know the story of Jonah. It's not a true story. And, Jonah, and, and, and Johnny said, oh, but sir, I believe that it is. And the teacher said, no, it's not a true story. And Johnny said, well, sir, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And the school teacher said, well, Johnny, what if Joan is not in heaven? Well, then, sir, you can ask him. <laughs> I'm with Johnny. I'm with Johnny. I believe the book of Jonah is a true story. And not just because I believe that with God all things are possible, but because I think there are other pointers that point us in that direction. For instance, we know where the place is. Secular archaeologists and historians have clearly identified the ancient Nineveh as being on the site of the modern-day city of Mosul in northern Iraq. And there is a tomb in Mosul underneath an ancient church, and it's believed to be the tomb of the prophet Jonah. And the militant Islamic State group, they took control of Mosul in 2014. Mosul has been on the news over the past few years. And when they did so, they deliberately destroyed the tomb of the prophet Jonah. Mosul was liberated again in 2017, and Christians are now once more returning and rebuilding their lives in that ancient city. We know that Joppa is Jaffa in modern-day Israel, and that Tarshish is modern-day Spain. So we're talking about real places and a real place. Nineveh is not somewhere over the rainbow. Nineveh is in Mosul in northern Iraq. Then the story, it's also rooted firmly in history. See, it tells us in 2 Kings 14 that Jonah, the son of Amittiah, the prophet from Gath-Hever, And he lived during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And even the most secular history books will tell us, if you go to them, they will tell us that King Jeroboam II ruled over Israel from 786 to 746 BC. So this places Jonah firmly and historically in the 8th century. You see, this is not a once upon a time. It's historically Jonah is placed in the 8th century during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And then, of course, we look to Luke chapter 11, when Jesus himself thought of Jonah. What did Jesus have to say about Jonah? As he taught the people, Jesus says, 
A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. You see, Jesus referenced the story of Jonah. Jesus believed the story of Jonah. I'm going to humbly offer that if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Maybe one of the other problems that we have with the book of Jonah as we come to it is that we, we remember the Sunday school illustrations all too well, don't we? You know, the flannel graph or the veggie tales, Jonah and the wheel. But it's not about Jonah or the wheel or even the huge fish. It's not about those things at all. They're in the story, but that's not what the story's about. No, you see, the story of Jonah is all about God and his grace. All about God and his grace. All about God and his undeserved, unconditional, and unrelenting love of humanity. Love of Jonah, love of the Ninevites, love of you, love of me. You see, we see traces of this grace of God through the entire four chapters of the story, which all ends with a disobedient Jonah, panicking pagan sailors, and the Ninevites, the rebellious city of Nineveh, all being saved. That's where it's all headed, and it's all by God's grace. And that's what God wants us to see as we read the book of Jonah, his grace. And if you're using the little hundred days journal that we've got, then you'll be meditating on Jonah over the next couple of weeks. And, but let me encourage you to sit down and read the book of Jonah. Four chapters, it'll take about 15 or 20 minutes. So read it all right through from start to finish. And we see God's grace running right through every verse of the book. Let me just mention some of those uh, glimpses of grace that we get in, the, in the, the first chapter that we just read. Verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now this speaks to me of God's grace. Because you see, humanity turned away from God, stuck our fingers in our ears. And really, God need never have ever spoken to anyone again. But in His grace, God longs for relationship with people. And He speaks to Jonah. And He speaks to you. And He speaks to me. Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now, to preach against something, we think that's a bit of a negative thing, but actually, it's a very positive thing because Jonah is preaching a warning. He's preaching repentance and forgiveness, the offer of forgiveness. Surely positive things. And you see, God need not have done this. God could simply have given the Ninevites what the Ninevites deserved and wiped them out. Then we see from verses 4 to 17, when Jonah was on the ship and running away from God and his mission, God has determined that his message of repentance and grace will be known to the Ninevites. And he acts decisively in a number of different ways. And verse 9, I love this bit. Verse 9, in the midst of the storm, the sailors asked Jonah who he was, and Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. Now let's get that because the Hebrews were God's redeemed people of the Old Testament. So here's the thing. You see, even when Jonah is taking himself out of God's will, he can't take himself out of God's family. You see, whether Jonah is going to Nineveh or Tarshish, 
or somewhere in between, Jonah is still a Hebrew. He is still a redeemed child of God. And when the sailors eventually throw Jonah overboard in order to save the ship, God again displays his grace by rescuing Jonah. A little unconventional, yes, inside the belly of a huge fish. It's probably not the most pleasant life raft to spend a few days in. But Jonah is saved nonetheless. And so are the lives of the pagan sailors, who it seems that they come to faith in Jonah's God through this ordeal. And we see the grace of God displayed throughout this book, throughout the mission and the the call of God. Throughout all of this book, the grace of God. And so as we ask him in these days to awaken us to his mission and to his call, I think we might start, it might be helpful to start by asking a simple question and answering it. If someone bumped into you in the street and said to you, so you're a Christian, well, what is God's mission? What is God's mission? I wonder what you'd say. But if we want to be awake to God's mission in the world, it will help if we're clear about what his mission is, won't it? And God has given us the answer in his word. And to understand God's mission in the world, we first need to understand that this is not just a random collection of books of history and poetry and prophecy and law and letters or just some facts about God or the church or the world. This is primarily, the Bible is primarily the life-giving, life-transforming story of God and his mission in the world. And you see, if this epic story was to be produced as a play, maybe that helps us a little bit to grasp it. If this epic story was to be produced as a play, the mission of God would be staged in four acts. We would have act one, we would have creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the world and everything in it, and he called it very good. And that the pinnacle of God's creation was humanity, different from the rest of, of what God had made because he created man and woman in his image. Unique amongst all creation, human beings are spiritual, moral, social, and cultural beings who were supposed to use the totality of their lives to care for creation, to please and to glorify God. And at the time of the creation, you see, humanity did just that. In fact, everything in the garden was just the way it was supposed to be. And God walked with Adam and Eve in the coolness of the day. And they were in right relationship with one another and with him and with all of creation. However, the second act in the play is the fall. The fall. You see, just after God created the world, just three chapters into Genesis, in fact, is Adam and Eve decided to rebel against the Creator and to do the one thing one thing that he had told them not to do, to eat off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead of loving and obeying him, they disobeyed him. They sought, to take, they sought to take God's place on the throne of his creation and of their own lives. And in response, God cast them out of the garden for their rebellion. And things were no longer the way they were supposed to be. All of creation was knocked out of kilter. All of creation was marred. And sin and death entered the world. And we see an example of this sin in the book of Jonah, where God says, the sin of Nineveh has come up before me. It's like the bad smell of sin has come up into the nostrils of God. And each of us, you know, just like Adam and Eve, and just like the Ninevites, we have sinned against God, and we deserve his judgment. 
But mercifully, mercifully, the third act in God's great unfolding mission is this. It's redemption. Redemption. You see, immediately after Adam and Eve rebelled, God promised to send a redeemer, a savior to save them from sin and death and to bring humanity back to himself. Throughout the Bible, God continues to reveal more and more of this Redeemer until finally He appears in the form of Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man, He lived a perfect life, but He was crucified at the hands of sinful men. But when Jesus died on that cross, was buried and rose again, Jesus was making atonement for our sins. He was providing salvation for us. On the cross, He took God's judgment and our punishment so that we don't have to. We no longer have to. Praise the Lord. And you see, when we put our trust in Jesus, He forgives our sins. He gives us the gift of eternal life. He brings us into the family, into the God family, and He advances His kingdom on earth. And in this great unfolding play, as we speak, God is busy, busy directing Act 3 of his mission to redeem for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. And we see something of this in the book of of Jonah, who was sent by God to preach the good news of redemption to the Ninevites. God has always, as he provided a way back to himself, salvation by grace through faith, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and today. And the final act then in God's mission, that will be Act 4, restoration. You see, God's work of salvation and redemption, heaven on earth. Heaven on earth will reach its fulfillment when Christ returns. When he returns, he will return as king of kings. He will restore all of creation back into that right relationship with God, back to the way he always intended it to be. He will rule over his redeemed people, And we will rule and reign and live in his presence and live in the fullness of all his glory and grace forever. So what is God's mission? Well, God's mission is the redemption, the redemption of sinful people and the restoration of his marred creation. That's God's mission. So what's God's call? Well, the Bible tells us that God's call to us is to partner with him to partner with him in his ongoing mission in the world. The call runs throughout the entirety of the Bible. God is calling to himself a people who will partner with him in his ongoing mission to, in the redemption of sinful people and in the restoration of his marred creation. And as we sit here today, we're somewhere in act number three. We're somewhere in the third act of this great unfolding story. Today we're in the redemption scene of time. And we don't know how long this act will last for. We don't know when Christ will gloriously return. When he will gloriously return to usher in the final act of this great divine play. And so this morning God calls us to be awake. Be awake to be awake to his mission, to be awake to what he is doing and to be part of it, to be people who proclaim the the gospel of grace, the good news of redemption and restoration, who live out the life of light and life and love 
that God calls us to as his kingdom comes and as his will is done in our souls, in our city, and in our nation, throughout our land. What a privilege and what a responsibility. But that's the call that came to Jonah, and that's the call that comes to you and to me here this morning. So what else can we learn from Jonah here today as we seek to be awake to God's mission and call? Jonah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, I'm not quite sure how the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but the word of the Lord comes to us today, and we have it in our hands. Now, God may speak to us in different other ways as well, but it will always be in line with his word as revealed in the Bible. Saying, go to the great city of Nineveh. Go, go. Now, I did a little bit of research, and apparently the word go appears in the Bible 1,542 times. You see, the default setting for God's people is to be a going people. We are going people because we are a sent people. Go and make disciples, Jesus said. And so we must always be prepared to go whenever and wherever he calls us. Whenever and wherever he sends us. Now, I'm not a big fan of this command particularly. I like to settle down, get comfortable, be surrounded by what's familiar. Maybe I'm not on my own in that sense either. But we must always be ready to go. We must always be prepared, be ready to be obedient, to go whenever and wherever God calls us and sends us. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, it says, and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went on board and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Have you ever tried to flee from the Lord? To run away from his will for your life? I have. I have, and I'm sure on more than one occasion. Didn't take me too long to find something. So let me share one occasion with you. It was 2008, and I'm sure there have been a few times since, but let me just share this one because it was very, very clearly what I did. It was 2008. I was still working in the Simon community, uh, and I had enrolled for an A-level course in religious studies at Union Theological College. And on the first night of the course, when the course was starting, uh, as I was driving up to Union College, I was still wrestling and still resisting what God was trying to do in my life. And as I drove up to Union College, I drove past Stranmillis. I drove over the bridge and down past Stranmillis. And uh, as I was driving past Stranmillis, I said to myself, I'm not going to Union College tonight. Because if I do, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to end up as a Presbyterian minister. (laughs) And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. And so, you know, I got down to the T-junction at the Strand Millis Road and Malone Road, just where the Ulster Independent Clinic is. And instead of turning right to go to Union College, I turned left and went home. It was simple as that. But isn't it just as simple as this? God, you can't run away from God. Look. (laughs) Enough said. 
you see, you can't run away from God. It's almost comical the way Jonah, you know, when the guys ask him, what are you doing? And he's already told them, I'm running away from God. It's almost comical, but yet we try it. For we can't outrun God. God will get us to where he wants us to be. By hook or by crook, we can't outrun him. You see, we can't outrun God, and we see from Jonah there's another thing that we can't do either. We can't choose who God loves. We can't choose who God loves. Nineveh was very wicked, and Nineveh was Israel's enemy. And much to Jonah's annoyance, God loved the people of Nineveh. How dare he? You see, in the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones in the book of Ezekiel that Gareth (coughs) preached on last week, we saw the picture of God's love for Israel, his people. That was pictured. They were the valley. They were the dry bones, and God was revived, loving and reviving his people. We saw that there. But here in the story of Jonah, we see God's love for people who aren't his people. The Gentiles, we see God's love even for those who are enemies of his people. And so the Ninevites are wicked and they are Jonah's enemies, so you can understand his reluctance. His reluctance when God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And and, and Jonah is like, Nineveh, you cannot be serious. Or maybe it was more, never, never, never. It tells us later in this story, you see, that Jonah didn't want God to have mercy on Nineveh. He didn't. He didn't want God to have mercy on Nineveh because the Ninevites were wicked, they were his enemies, and actually he would much prefer that God would just zap them. Just zap them. That would be his preference. Rather than forgive them. Now we live in Northern Ireland. And we're familiar with the them and us sort of idea, aren't we? The us and them. And the Ninevites were definitely, very definitely them. The Ninevites were definitely them, and God didn't want, um, Jonah didn't want God to have mercy on them. What about us and our them? Is there a particular individual or group of people that we'd much rather that God would punish than forgive and redeem? People from other political or religious opinions, people from other cultures or races, people with different sexual orientations or values? Well, according to this, God loves them. And just like with Jonah, he's calling us to go to share the good news of the gospel with them and see what God will do. Bit of a spoiler alert here for next week, but there was a pretty amazing result in Nineveh. But more of that next week. Anyway, back to the runaway Jonah in chapter 1, verse 3. So he paid the fare and he went down into the ship. You see, when we run away from God, we pay the fare. We pay the fare. It costs us. And not only is every step away from God costly, but every step away from God is always a step down. Did you notice as well? Jonah went down to Joppa. Then he went down into the ship. Then he went down into the sea. Then he went down into the fish's belly. Then he went down into the deep. Every step away from God is always a step down. 
And then down there, down there in the deep, in the belly of the fish, Jonah does what the prodigal son does in the parable. Jonah comes to his senses. Jonah has an awakening. And he prays to the Lord. And you know, sometimes before, that's what we need before we come to our senses as well, isn't it? Sometimes we need a storm or we need to be experiencing the depths before we come to our senses, before we waken up and pray to the Lord. And in the book of Jonah, as we've seen, it's about God and God's grace, and we see that, jo- that God, in His grace, spares Jonah's life. Jonah prays this wonderful prayer, and in chapter 2, it's almost like a psalm. And we don't have time to read it just now, but let me encourage you to read Jonah chapter 2 when you go home today. Jonah starts like this. He says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and He answered me. Of course He did. God's a God who hears and answers prayer. Even more in the deep in some of those songs that we sang this morning. You know, even though our shame was deep, your love went deeper still. So Jonah is able to say at the center of his great prayer of praise, he's able to say, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Yes, he does. And yes, he alone deserves the highest praise. And at the end of his prayer, that wonderful bottom line where Jonah acknowledges salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. So just as I finish, with a prayer for mercy and by the grace of God, Jonah's awakening, Jonah's resurrection, it begins. And so too can ours. God brings him up from the pit, up out of the fish, up onto the dry land. And Jonah gets the second chance. Our God, you see, is the God of the second chance and of the third chance and of the nth chance. So maybe you're here this morning and you've been running from God. You've been fleeing from His will in your life. Maybe you're down in the boat asleep or maybe you're down in the depths and maybe today as He moves by His Spirit and speaks from His Word, Maybe he is awakening you up. Today the Lord offers all of us another chance. Today he offers us resurrection. Another chance to be awakened to his mission and to answer his call. And so as we move on through the service, I want to invite us and encourage us to use the rest of the service to respond to him as is appropriate for each of us as we come to him in praise, in prayer, in communion. We take the opportunity to return to him or perhaps even to turn to him for the very first time today.